All right, y'all. How are we doing? Good. Well, uh, excited to continue in the Apostles' Creed. If you are new to Crew, uh, you might want to go listen to our podcast, catch up on kind of why we're going through this and maybe even what the Apostles' Creed is. Um, but in a moment here, I'm going to invite, um, invite you to stand, and we are going to uh, say the Creed together. And the Creed, is, as Dane just mentioned, is really... Um, it is a concise and powerful statement about what the Bible says is true about God, what's true of us, and how we find eternal life in God. And so, if you're not a Christian, um, or if you're not sure if you believe this, just know uh, no one expects you to say this with us. Um, this is something that we want to say, and hopefully as we go through the series, perhaps you'll grow convinced from the scriptures that this is true, but please don't feel any pressure to say it with us, um, or even stand if you don't want to. But for those of you who do want to, would you stand and recite the creed with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Uh-oh. <laughs> I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to dial in on these words. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, dead, and buried. And so up to this point in the creed, everything's been actually pretty positive, hasn't it? It starts by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Good, no problem. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. All good things. We like babies. That's great. Um, and then we come to this line in the creed. He suffered. At the center of Christianity is the cross. It is Jesus crucified on it. Him being dead, dying, uh, and buried ultimately. One of the things that you should know that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is the way that it anchors itself to history. His, like Christianity, its validity, its truthfulness hangs entirely on the, in, in the balance based on historical events. Did they happen or did they not? Now, there's, even outside of the Bible, there is a lot of evidence that a man named Jesus, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and died. That historically is not difficult to prove. But Christianity's validity hangs entirely on the balance whether or not Jesus really did die on the cross and whether he really did rise from the dead. In fact, it matters so much so that Paul, in one of his letters, would even say that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he effectively says Christianity is worthless and you're still dead in your sins. So Christianity hangs in the balance based on these historical events. 
My story, unlike Josiah's, uh, I did not grow up in a Christian home, but like Josiah, I was apathetic about God. Um, And like Josiah mentioned too, I remember uh, growing up and I knew people who were Christians. Uh, Every once in a while, I accidentally, we used this old device called a radio. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But we had radios, and every once in a while, I hit the Christian radio station, and the way that I knew was because the music was terrible, and I hated it. And then they would say things like, Jesus died for you, Jesus loves you. They talk like that on Christian radio. And, I, and so I heard, Jesus died for you. And I felt like they may as well have been saying, Harry Potter died for you. Isn't that good news? And you're like, he's made up. That's weird. Um, but I mean, it really did. It hit with the same amount of weight for me. It, it was a weightless statement to hear Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. I couldn't feel or experience really anything that felt significant or good about that statement. And I find that actually still today, many Christians that I even talk to, if they're asked the question, why did Jesus need to die? Very few of them actually know how to answer that question other than just kind of the classic, because he loves us. They don't actually know why his death was necessary. They don't understand why him going to the cross was a critical thing. And so eventually I did come to understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross for me. And my prayer is that tonight, the Holy Spirit would give you either greater or perhaps an understanding of that for the first time. Why is it good news that Jesus died for you? And so let me pray and let's ask God to do what only he can do and help us to understand. Father, thank you for your word. And God, we give you thanks particularly for your son Jesus and his death for us. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would both help me to speak clearly and truthfully from your word, but also help my friends hear God, to hear your word, to understand the meaning and the significance of Jesus' death for each one of us. And we ask God for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me invite you to grab your Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 14. If you're waiting for it to come on the screen, it's not coming. Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick things up right in verse 12. Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Have you heard of the Passover before? You've heard of this phrase? Half of you are lying, the other half of you don't, don't even move, you don't know. Um, t- two of you know. Um, 
Well, let's, let's talk about the Passover for a moment. Let me uh, either bring you up to speed or remind you if you've heard of it before. But the Passover is one of the most significant moments in the Bible. Um, it begins early in the Bible in a book called Exodus, which is the second book in your Bible that you're holding. And what basically happens is the Exodus, this is happening over a thousand years before Jesus shows up on the scene. The Passover meal commemorates one of, like I just mentioned, one of the most significant moments in God's uh, people's history, the Jewish history. And it's really, it's something that Jews today still practice and celebrate. And so uh, what happens is in this time in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And they're under the oppressive rule of Egypt's king, its pharaoh. And Pharaoh, <laughs> Pharaoh is not kind to God's people. He oppresses them, enslaves them, and God is seeking to release his people from under um, Pharaoh's rule and reign. Well, the way that God does this, he calls Pharaoh to release his people. As you might imagine, if you're familiar with the story, or maybe you, you've heard of it before, Pharaoh doesn't agree. He's not accommodating. He's not interested. So he doesn't do it. Well, uh, like a bully trying to wrestle something from someone's hand, uh, God begins just to send pain on Pharaoh's life to release his grip. I suggest that God was a bully. He wasn't a bully. Pharaoh was the bully. So maybe do it the other way. Like a hero attacking the bully to release something from his grip. That's what it is. So God begins to send these plagues on Pharaoh. They're awful. There's a lot of them. Um, here's what it all builds up to. Because the plagues don't work, and then God brings out the big bad one. The final plague is death. And so, what happens is here is that this plague of death is going to fall on every home in Egypt. It's not just going to fall on the Egyptians. It will fall on the Jews, too. Death is going to come to every home. No one is exempt from it. And so, in essence, every home in Egypt, someone is going to die in that house. The only way out, the only way to es escape is what? To find all the infinity stones. No. To destroy all the horcruxes. No, not those either. Uh, no. The way, the way for them to be saved, God says, the way for death to pass over their house was for them to kill a spotless lamb and to put its blood on the door. And so in Egypt that night, when God's justice comes down, in every home there was either a dead family member or there was a dead lamb. And so if you placed the blood of the lamb on your doors, death passed over you and you were saved. And this was the only way to be saved, by placing your faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. And this is why it's called Passover. And so this is the meal that Jesus is celebrating over a thousand years later with his disciples. That's what we just read. And so it's worth asking the question, why is it, God, why is it, God, that you would have uh, them kill a nice fluffy lamb so that death doesn't get them. Why is that? Well, we're going to find the answer 
or begin to find it in our passage. Jump down to verse 22 in Mark 14. Verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. What you probably don't realize is that something utterly astonishing is happening in those verses we just read. You should probably go read it again because you didn't catch it. No, you'll read it again. You still won't catch it. Um, here's, let me tell you just a little bit about how Passover meals worked a little bit to help grow your sensitivity to what's happening here. So traditionally, this Passover meal had a few elements that were always present at it. Uh, it always had bread, it always had wine, and of course, at the Passover meal, there was always a lamb. That was part of the meal too. And so what would happen during the meal is that someone, the person who was presiding over the meal, kind of the person serving it, um, the host for it, they would walk through the meal and they would explain the symbolism behind each one of the elements. And so, for example, with the bread, the person presiding over the meal would explain that the bread, this is the bread of our affliction. This is what our fathers ate when they were out in the wilderness. But you see, what happens in the verses we just read is Jesus doesn't actually follow the script. Like, the disciples, these boys would have been practicing the Passover meal several times throughout their lives. They would have done it dozens and dozens of times by now. They knew how this meal was supposed to go. They know what was supposed to be said, and Jesus doesn't say it. He changes it. Instead, for him, he holds up the piece of bread. He breaks it. He blesses it. And he says, this is my body. And then he takes the wine, and he holds it up. And he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for many. And then he promises that he won't drink the wine again until he's in the new kingdom of God. He's effectively making a blood promise, a covenant. And he's promising unconditionally that he's going to sacrifice himself, his body broken, his blood poured out, so that he can restore us to the Father and to his kingdom. And so Jesus is making the Passover all about himself. I mentioned that there's three common elements in the meal. One of them is missing. The bread is there, the wine is there, the lamb isn't. And some of you are like, that's not a big deal. Clearly they're vegans. Like you guys are Coloradans, you're like, they have dietary restrictions, <laughs> can't do it, no meat, not going there. Well, no, wrong, um, wrong. Passover was not a vegan option. Uh, there was always a lamb at Passover. <clears throat> So why is there no lamb here? 
It's because the lamb wasn't on the table. The lamb was seating at the table with them. The lamb is Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the one whose body is broken, his blood is poured out so that it will save all who place their faith in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this there. He, referring to God the Father, he made the one, referring to Jesus, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Theologians call this verse the great exchange. It's this idea that Jesus becomes what we are, what we deserve. He becomes sin for us. He takes on our guilt. He takes on our shame. He takes on the consequences of our rebellion, our disobedience, the ways that we've rejected God, the ways that we've been apathetic towards him. He takes all of that upon himself. And we get all of the credit for what he's done. He gets all the credit for our disobedience. We get all the credit for his obedience. This is part, not part, rather, this is why Christianity is so unique. You see, every other religion ultimately offers you not good news. Every other religion offers you good advice. It's good advice about what you need to do to get heaven, to get God, to get wholeness. It's all about what you need to do. And and Jesus, in the Bible, they don't offer us good advice. They offer us good news. Not about what you and I need to get busy doing, but what has been done. It is good news about what Jesus has done for you. It is not something you earn. It's a gift you receive. And so that's exactly what's in view in these verses He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. The moment that you place your faith in Christ, he dies in your place. He's your substitute. And you receive eternal life that only he alone has earned and deserved. And maybe some people wonder, they're like, why does God, why does God not just snap his fingers and forgive us? Why why is all this death involved and sacrifice and fluffy nice lambs getting killed like what's this all about why can't God just forgive well you and I I think know this but forgiveness is never free it's never free like if someone smashes into your car and destroys it you, ab- you absolutely have the opportunity to forgive them. You can do that. But if you do that, what that means is that you are going to absorb all of the cost yourself. That forgiveness for you isn't free. It's incredibly costly. And so this is... This is what we see in the Bible is, yes, forgiveness is offered to you as a free gift, but make no mistake, it wasn't free. 
It came at extraordinary cost. It came at the cost of God. (laughs) Think about this for a moment. For your and my sin to be forgiven, God had to become one of us and die for you. That's how bad my sin is, is that there is no other way for it to be atoned for, no other way for the payment to be paid off other than for God to become a man and for Jesus to die in my place. It's radical. He absorbs it fully. He drinks the cup and he drinks every last drop of God's justice for us on the cross. And it's all because God loves you. It's because God wants to save you. It's because God wants to rescue you from the penalty of your rebellion, yes, but he wants to restore you to right relationship with himself. He wants you to be who he made you to be. And the only way for that to be found is in the blood of the Lamb. You see, Jesus is saying that the Passover, it's all about him. This is why that it's good news that Jesus, and why we confess it in the Apostles' Creed, why we confess that he suffered, he crucified, he died and was buried. Jesus is the true lamb of God. And you see, like Jesus said to his disciples, he says to them, here's my body, broken for you. Here's my blood poured out for you. Take it. There's a choice that you get to make whether to take it or not. He will not force it on you, but he offers it to you. And you can't receive the benefits that he offers apart from it. Tim Keller says, uh, he says, imagine, imagine you were in Egypt just after the first Passover. And if you stopped the Israelites in those days and you asked them, who are you? What's happening here? They would say to you, I was a slave. I was a slave under the sentence of death. And I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And I escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst. And we're following him to the promised land. Keller says, that's exactly what Christians say today. If you trust in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, the greatest longings of your heart will be satisfied on the day that you sit down at the eternal feast in God's kingdom. You see, that the threat that sat over the Israelites was the threat of death, that they would die that night. The fact for you and I is that something far worse than death 
sits over all of, all of us, all of humanity. It's an eternal death. It's what Jesus calls hell. And it's a conversation for another day if you find yourself thinking, gosh, isn't this just kind of like fear-mongering or why does God threaten pun-? Like, But you have to consider for a moment if there's an infinitely good creator who loves you and created you and for relationship with him and you've rejected and rebelled against him, that you, if nothing else, you're like, well, I don't reject God. Do you prefer other things above him? I do. That is rejection of God. That is rebellion. To call something else good when he's the definition of what's good. It's the height of offense. As Josiah and I both talked about, apathy towards God is hatred for God. I'm way more sinful than I even know. Like, I'm way worse. And part of the reason you and I are so unconvinced that we're so sinful is because we just think, I'm not as bad as that other loser down the street. You're like, oh, cool. Like, your standard of comparison is another moron that you know. You're like, I'm a good person. That was supposed to be funny. I thought you'd laugh at that more than the affinity stone thing. But, but like, we just don't even feel. We don't even feel how broken and lost we are. We don't feel it. But again, the thing I would point you to to point to the fact that we are is the fact that God had to come and pay the debt for us. We're so lost. We're so in need of his rescue. And that's the honest truth is that what the Bible says, and it's not flattering, friends. I'm not going to tell you like, hey, doesn't this feel good to hear this? Like, you're a sinner and you deserve hell for eternity. Doesn't hit well. But the point of the matter is, is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place for you. There is no clean yourself up, try harder, do better to try to impress God. This is the amazing news that Christianity tells us. The good news that Jesus died for us so that there's nothing left. There's nothing left we need to do to earn our way to God. We simply receive that gift. And so if that's something that you've never done, you need to know that the invitation is before you like it was before the disciples from Jesus to say, take it. It's as simple as you saying, I want it. I believe. And friends, for those of you who the enemy seeks to discourage, to guilt you, in Christ you're not guilty. He suffered. You don't need to suffer for your sin. Sometimes people think, is God punishing me? If your faith is in Christ, that's already been done. There is no penalty left for those in Christ. You are loved son and daughter. You are more loved than you could even believe. And you're more safe and secure in Christ than you could ever hope. And so we say, just like the Israelites would say, 
I was a slave. I was a slave under the threat of death, but I took shelter in the blood of a lamb. And I escaped that bondage, and now I live with God on his way, on my way to his kingdom. Can you say that? Well, Lord, thank you for Jesus' suffering, his death, his burial, and as we'll soon celebrate and think about his resurrection in a couple weeks. And God, what Jesus did for us on the cross really is beyond our own comprehension and our grasp, but Lord, would you just bring home that reality that we have taken shelter in the blood of the Lamb, that we are so thoroughly forgiven, so secure in Christ. And for those, Lord, that don't yet believe or haven't yet confessed to you as Lord, God, would you give them faith to do so, even tonight? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.